Welcome to OCBC Insights, where we discuss the latest economic trends and developments. I'm Hong Wei, Credit Research Analyst from OCBC Bank. We have seen the first true test of non-core in the Sing dollar market coming from Escort Residence Trust. We received several questions from investors, so we'd like to use this chance to address them. Join with me on this call is Ezian, who is the covering credit analyst and subject matter expert on Escort Residence Trust. Now Ezian, Escort didn't call, so is there something wrong with Escort itself? Thanks, Hongwei. So to answer your question on whether there's something wrong uh, with Escort, so Escort itself is actually the largest hospitality REIT listed in Singapore. I wouldn't call it something wrong per se, but given the sector that it's actually in, it's definitely not the best of times for this particular REIT. Um, as at 30th of April, 18 out of the company's 88 properties are now closed. However, if we look at the credit metrics, it does have cash on hand, it has bank lines, and it is also uh, waiting to receive proceeds from a proposed sale of the property in uh, Somerset Liang Court. So actually, in terms of credit metrics, we, actually, we do think they are okay despite the very big headwinds for the sector. And on top of that, some of their master leases is actually signed with its sponsor. Uh, in this case, that's uh, Capital Land, which we hold at a uh, high grade with, at, at Neutral 3. Actually, I do cover uh, Capital Land, so I just realized. So yeah, you're right, uh, the master leases coming from Capital Land should be uh, stable. That's right. We actually see very little uh, counterparty credit risk on that front. So we think this... This, the reason why they didn't call is not so much that the credit is deteriorating so quickly. In fact, when we downgraded uh, Escort because of this, we only put it from a three to a four rather than anything worse than that. Uh, this, is, this is really, in our view, from a cost perspective for, uh, and plus uh, cash conservation. I see. So the other question, uh, favorite question we have, that we got is, you know, isn't Escort supposed to call, isn't the call obligatory? So let me take this question. Uh, it is definitely not an event of default if Escort chooses not to call. In fact, uh, as we go through this, I'd like to just explain what this call is about. It is an option uh, given to the issuer to redeem the perpetual at a certain date. So given that it is an option and not an obligation, it is definitely not an event of uh, default by not calling. However, what we have seen historically is that a lot of uh, issuers like to call on the first call date. This is uh, due to a number of reasons and one of the primary reasons is because of cost savings. And so, Izian, um, why didn't uh, Escort call then? Yep, so just now uh, I mentioned a little bit that it's, it's likely that uh, cost savings is one of it and then also cash conservation at this time, so I'll, I'll elaborate about it. So the first one is if they were to replace this perpetual with another perpetual, which is something we believe the company wants to do to keep that capital structure with uh, senior debt perpetual as well as their equity, they would have to come back to the market. And at this point, if they do come back, we think that the cost will be at least 4.5% um, all the way to maybe 5%. So this is higher than what their most recent perpetual was. That was at 3.88%. Uh, and the other alternative for them is, let's say they no longer want to keep this capital structure with a perpetual. They want to replace it with debt. Technically, they actually can as well. But this would move their aggregate leverage to 39%, which is a bit on the higher side compared to other large cap 
REITs, even though MAS had said that, yeah, actually REITs, now you can go up to 50%, but as compared to the peers, it's still going to be a bit on the high side. Also in this kind of environment, there's still uncertainty as to whether the asset value will take a hit for escort. So that's two reasons. And the third reason is uh, preservation of cash. No doubt, escort has banking lines, but in the event that the virus effect is a lot longer than what people expect, and, and you know, it's probably better to, to save it as a buffer. Well, okay. Given that the reasons seems to be uh, quite stacked against the call and the, the reasons for not calling uh, seems to be quite justified, do you think that someday Escort will eventually call this uh, perpetual? That, that's actually a very good question that investors have been asking because usually for, for read perpetuals, every six months, they still hold the option to call rather than wait another five years. So we do think that Escort would eventually want to call, but not in the short term. So we think this would be something that they can consider when credit spreads start to decline. So we have seen uh, Escort's credit spreads increasing a lot uh, since March, but then they have come down by about 30 basis points since then. And if we look at other large hospitality names, uh, in maybe not just in Sing, but the more global names, credit spreads for the hospitality sector have also started declining. And this is something that we expect uh, that will continue to happen. But for a more decisive tightening in the spreads, uh, we do think that the hospitality sector will need to see more improvement first. So in the meantime, uh, we think that Escort will continue paying distributions on the perpetuals, even if they may not be calling as soon. Uh, this is especially after they combine uh, with Ascenders Hospitality. So it's not just Escort's standalone income anymore, but also they can get dividend distribution from the Ascenders Hospitality Trust. Okay, now another question they've been receiving from investors. Uh, given that Escort Residence Trust has chosen not to call, are there other perpetuals that we should watch out for? Okay, what we are seeing is that in uh, 2020 and 2021 itself, uh, other than Escort Residence Trust, there's still uh, 12 uh, other issuers we've first called it due. And out of these 12, we found that 8 of them have moderate to high chance of missing the call. And we think that risk will be higher now because Escort Residence Trust has set a precedent. In other words, uh, if you think about the reputational risk of not calling, the soft obligation of not calling, I think this will no longer be a main factor uh, given uh, what Escort uh, Residence Trust has done. And uh, what, what these issuers will be thinking about will be mainly due to economics. And if uh, they're going to be in a similar case as what Ezian mentioned, whereby the cost of um, letting it to reset lower to a distribution rate is cheaper, rather than coming out of a new perpetual where it's going to be more expensive, I think it will make sense to, you know, uh, to, to, to not call. Uh, is that what companies are thinking about, Ezian? Yes, definitely. So cost is a factor. I think that's something which um, many bots actually do uh, are considering. And if they are not, they would be very soon. Um, on top of that, though, I'm just very curious, as, as you were talking about this, is cost cost as a factor. Do you think that credit issues are also arising as an issue in, in this environment? Like credit fundamentals? Okay, in terms of in terms of credit fundamentals, what we are seeing uh, is I think similar to what you uh, you talked about for hospitality across uh, the companies that we have. Uh, 
most of them are seeing a reduced uh, uh, in terms of reduction in revenue and that would that should impact earnings and also uh, financing and funding in this current environment will be more difficult so uh, I think I think definitely uh, the credit profile will be weakened um, and so because of this kind of consideration I think uh, a lot of these companies still like to or they prefer to hold on to cash and I think uh, cash is king in this uh, environment and and so with this kind of consideration uh, companies may actually think about avoiding a call in order to conserve cash. So one more point to note for our listeners is uh, read perpetuals were it makes up quite a number of the perpetuals that are coming up in the we first call dates in the next 24 months and then we have listed them as a high risk of non-call. So one of the main reasons is that read perpetuals don't have step-ups, uh, don't have step-up margins. So maybe Hongwei can help us share a little bit more colour as to why step-ups are important in this environment. Yeah, thanks seasons. For step-ups, uh, because read perpetuals don't have step-ups, therefore, what, what is happening is that upon the reset, uh, there, there's a chance for this uh, distribution rates to fall. However, if there were to be a step-up, instead of uh, distribution rates uh, having a chance to fall given the low rates environment, uh, a high step-up will actually help to push up the distribution rates. And so if for issuers, if it becomes too expensive to hold on to these perpetuals, uh, if they were to be stepped up, then I think uh, that will that will prompt them to you know perhaps we should call this uh, perpetual. If not, we need to uh, cough up quite a lot of uh, uh, cash to continue uh, holding on to this uh, instrument. So how about bank capital instruments then? Actually, that's a very interesting question. For bank capital instruments, they are in a somewhat similar uh, story as read perpetuals. The main thing is that bank capital instruments cannot have step-ups. They do not have step-ups. Therefore, uh, they may also face a similar situation whereby the reset uh, will be at a lower rate uh, than the current distribution rate. However, for bank capital itself, I think they generally face a lower risk than corporates despite the, the apparent uh, cost savings from allowing these perpetuals to reset lower. Okay, the, the primary thing is that um, for these banks, having a perpetual is a crucial part of their capital structure. So I don't think they will want to uh, you know, upset, uh, upset investors by not calling. But once they upset investors, I think coming up with another perpetual again you know, to meet their regulatory uh, requirement may be more difficult. And so for banks, I think uh, ultimately they will be willing to trade a short-term pain for long-term gain by preferring to call a bank capital instrument when they come due. Uh, next, for uh, banks itself, I think most of them also have very good access to capital markets. So it's not going to be somewhat different from uh, corporates, whereby you know if they were to use their cash to call and redeem the perpetual uh, they may not be so certain whether they can still continue to have access uh, to a large pool, large diversified pool of funding. For banks so far, uh, I, I think uh, they are still quite comfortable given their systematically important roles uh, and their solid uh, market positions. I see. So any other risks that we should be also thinking about apart from non-call? Oh yeah, yes. Uh, just as I highlighted a, couple, a few weeks ago, uh, we have seen a little more uh, probably thinking about deferring uh, its distributions outright. 
So in other words, uh, investors may not be able to receive these distributions if the if the perpetual uh, or if the perpetual issuers decides to defer the distributions entirely. So I know you've actually banged the table on this uh, non-call topic, especially uh, for, for quite some time, and then following the development of the perpetual markets for at least three, four years now. So I'm just going to outright ask you the elephant in the room. So overall, are perpetuals overly risky? Should investors avoid perpetuals? Wow. Uh, <laughs> this is a very interesting question. Um, I'm going to say yes and no. Okay, let me <laughs> just address the 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 yes part that is going to be uh, somewhat dangerous. I think it's uh, fairly obvious from what we have been uh, discussing so far. Uh, I think um, the call risk, the non-call risks are now quite elevated. A lot of issuers are thinking about not calling. And in terms of investor demand, we are also seeing perpetual uh, bids drying up. So in terms of uh, liquidity, in terms of holding on to these perpetuals, it's going to become a situation where, whereby the investor may have to be forced to hold a perpetual perpetually. And of course, uh, these perpetuals, given the low rates environment that may persist for quite some time, I think there is a risk that the investor may be receiving diminishing uh, distribution rates going forward. However, on the no side, um, although the COVID situation has weakened the companies, so far we do not expect the perpetuals that we cover to outright default. And I think that, you know, everything should have a price. So although we think that there may be more downside than upside today, uh, if the prices were to fall somewhat more from today's environment, who knows if we, we will change our view and say that, you know, perpetuals start to look attractive again. And if there were to be new perpetuals that come in and were to be structured uh, with a lot of like investor-friendly structures such as uh, high step-ups, then I think investors can consider going back into the perpetual space. Right, especially in this very low-rate environment for investors who want to seek give, really, you do have to weigh between the risk versus the kind of returns that you're going to get. I think the last question that... Um, that we wanted to cover today is also something that investors have been asking us um, whether or not we can recommend things that are still yielding low risk as well as short tenor. And I know that you've talked a lot about this in terms of impossible trinity to, to try and um, achieve all this. So I think our answer to that question is there's really no perfect bond out there, but investors are still would still be able to find things that come as close as possible in terms of where they want to be in uh, risk and reward. But uh, what we think is that given the yield curve is very flat in this time, there's really no real need to extend out in the search for you. Um, certain bonds that we are still seeing that is not overly onerous in risk at least, what, what we will still consider the more crossover as well as higher grade areas, neutral for and above, is still giving 2.4% for less than five years maturity. So 2.4% really doesn't sound like a lot, but bear in mind that swap rates for five years is only at 60-ish basis points. I see. Well, so there are still alternatives, but I think we probably have to, uh, you know, sacrifice uh, at least one of the the, the the trinities be like, you know, you have to go for something lower yielding rather higher yielding. Or the, I think the other alternative is to go for higher risk, which may not be always uh, preferable in uh, today's environment. Yeah, so I think that sums up on our view on perpetuals and also on our view on uh, bond recommendation. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.
This has been a podcast from OCBC Bank. Follow us on Spotify for more episodes like the one you've just heard.